Good evening. We're going to go ahead and get started if you don't care. It's 6.30 and uh, if you have your Bibles tonight and you'd like to, we're in Ezra the fifth chapter. Uh, if you didn't get notes, there are actually uh, notes back there that actually have all the points and everything tonight for you. Uh, I uh, So I got in trouble Sunday because I teased about uh, what color uh, clothes people should wear. I said, girls should wear pink, boys should wear blue. And so naturally, as soon as it was over, someone came to me and said, that's very old-fashioned, you can't be that way. And so tonight I want you to know that I own a pink and blue shirt and wore that tonight. And so if that bothered you Sunday, I am sorry. And I am showing that I meant it. Uh, but if you remember where we're at, uh, in the book of Ezra, the, the nation of Israel has returned from uh, captivity. They started to work on the temple they faced some opposition and they quit. And they just stopped. And they got caught up with other things. And tonight the title, which I didn't put on there because I wanted you to be able to write just a little bit, is When God Wants to Use Us. When God Wants to Use Us. And I don't know where you're at in your marriage or in your relationship with church or where you're at in your relationship with God as an individual, but you will face difficult times. You're going to face uh, opposition. You're going to face uh, failures. You're going to face just the typical I'm too busy and drift in my relationship with the Lord's Son. And so when we come to Ezra chapter 5, I want to read uh, verses 1 through 2 as you see there and then just really just jump in and look at what the Bible says. If you want in your Bible, you really probably ought to flip over to the book of Haggai and uh, Zechariah, they're the uh, two of the last books in the Old Testament right before Malachi. So find Matthew and go uh, backwards, you will find those. Uh, and, and I'll explain to that why here in just a second. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So... Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. And so if you see on your notes there, the first thing is what I want to show you this, is when leadership hears from God and is on the same page or is in unity, God can move us forward. How does that mean in your life? If you are trying to be in charge of your life and not letting God be in charge of your life, you are going to struggle. In a marriage, if, if you are not on the same page, unified, understanding what God says for your marriage, you will not be able to move forward. The same thing goes for business. The same thing goes for church. When people have different thoughts and beliefs and they don't care about hearing from God, they will never move forward. And so what happens is the children of God have stopped building this temple for over a decade and a half, and God says, enough. <laughs> We're going to get this temple built. And so if you have the book of Haggai open in verses 5 and 6 of the first chapter, the Lord says these words. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. 
You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earn wages to put into a bag with holes. What God tells them is, through the prophet, is you guys are working, you are trying to thrive, but yet you are not accomplishing anything. And he's saying that because they have gotten to the point where they have decided they're going to build their own houses, live their own lives, and the temple has set there unfinished. Over in the book of Zechariah chapter 1, if you want to flip over there with me, these are the two prophets that is being talked about in the book of Ezra. And so in Zechariah chapter 1, starting in verse 3, this is the prophecy that God had for the children of Israel. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not hear or heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they now? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us, according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. So the message that these two prophets has are you are laboring to no effect and you've now to come back to God. And so this morning, this evening, excuse me, I really want you to think about that because when we read verses 1 and 2, we see two men here who were prophets. They had heard from God and were speaking to the people. But yet in verse 2, there are two men that are not prophets, Zerubbabel and Jeshua. They are servant leaders. One would have been like a prince and one would have been a priest. And so I want you to think about it in a New Testament setting. We don't have prophets necessarily in the New Testament, but we have two groups of people in the New Testament. They are elders and Deacons, right? Pastors and deacons, two groups of people. And so we see here that one is proclaiming the Word of God and one is serving to accomplish what the Word has said. And so we see here that it takes both groups of people. You have to hear from God, but you also have to serve God. And so I want to read these verses to you again and just really be thinking about that. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, Prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, rose up. They heard from God and began to do and began to build the house of God, which is Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were there with them, helping them. And that word for helping them means support and encourage. And so we see that there is a group of people who are leading the children of Israel united together to accomplish the purpose of God. I think this is interesting because Haggai would have been a very old man. He would have been able to remember what it was like to see the old temple. He would have been at least, I'm not even going to say an age because I don't want to offend anybody, but he would have been older, okay? They've been in captivity a while. He would have remembered. But yet, Zechariah is a young man. And so what we see is that God is using the young, He is using the old, He is using the Word of God, He is using the, the serving of God. 
And so tonight I want you to know that if you are here, God has a purpose and a plan for you. Whether you think that you're a teacher or a server, whether you think you're too young or too too old, God is using multiple groups of people here. And so I want to flip over to these two books again. Haggai chapter 2 verse 5 says, According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. You see, in this text, he is reminding them that, you know what, you've been in captivity. Things have been a mess. You've abandoned me, but I have not abandoned you. And tonight I want you to hear this because whether it's your relationship with God that you think you failed, whether it's your marriage tonight that you think has failed, whether it is a church that as we move forward and do what God wants us to do, it is easy to sometimes think that God has left us, that God doesn't care about us. But what He reminds them here is, I am still with you. My Spirit has not left you. You flip over in the ninth verse of that chapter, and this is one of the most uh, significant verses, I think, in the Old Testament. The glory of this latter, latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now, if you have been studying with us, you know that the new temple was not near as nice as the old temple. It is estimated that Solomon's temple would have had something like $20 million worth of gold intertwined into the building and the frame and all of that. And so this temple was very small. It was very uh, very humble at its beginning. But why do you think this temple would be considered greater than the first temple? Because someone shows up at the second temple and his name is Jesus. This second temple is the temple that would have been partly there when Jesus was there. And he was the prince of peace. He would have sat in the temple and taught. He would have sat in the temple and healed. He would have sat in the temple and been among them. And so he is saying that the new temple is going to be greater. And it even has farther ramifications to that, to the end of time, when we look at what God is going to do. But it's an amazing thing to hear God say, you thought it was as good as it could be. You have made a mess of everything. But I'm here to tell you, that it's going to be better later than it is now. In Zechariah, it says some of the very same things. If you want to flip over to Zechariah chapter 1, and I'm just trying to give you a background of why the children of Israel are doing what they are doing here. And starting in verse 12, it says, Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah? Against you were angry these seventy years. And the Lord answered the angel who talked to me with good and comforting words. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease. For I was a little angry, and they helped me, but with evil intent." Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. Don't miss that word. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Again, proclaiming, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
My cities shall again spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion and will choose Jerusalem. God is just saying, I am not done with the Jewish people. I'm not done with the city of Jerusalem. I'm not done with the temple. And so as they are not doing anything, they're living their own lives, doing their own things, this is God's message to them. Repent because I have hope for you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. And so tonight, whether that's you as an individual, God has a purpose for your life to love Him, to serve Him, to honor Him. As a couple, God has a desire and purpose for your marriage, one that is together, one that is thriving, one that is growing. As a church, God has a purpose for us to accomplish if we believe the words that He says. And just like the Old Testament Jewish people, He is stirring them to action, stirring them to do what they need to do. And so uh, I think it's important here to see this and to know this as we start. Because if we are not together, we will not be who God wants us to be. And so the verses 1 through 2, when leadership hears from God and is in unity, God can move us forward. That's what He's trying to do. Get them to move forward. Second thing tonight, if there's no questions or thoughts... It would have been added on to. Yes, sir. Yeah. Expanded. Yeah, so the, the original temple would have been a very, very small... I, I think can't even remember the dimensions now. We had a, I think I gave out a picture of it one night maybe, and it was a, just a very simple, a very plain uh, building. But yes, Herod would have rebuilt it and redesigned uh, it and expanded it to find favor with the Jewish people. Yes, and uh, like I said, we've. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think what we did. had talked about that, uh, that one yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of thoughts. That was the same night about the pigs and the swine question. Yeah, some people think it could have been a, a clerical error as they were doing that. Uh, some people think it could have been two people. Some people think it could have been that his father died, and he his mother remarried according right. to the. So, so it could have been. Yeah. Well, I think that clerical. Yeah, I think that clerical errors happen sometimes, though, when we see in different wording. Uh, there's a period here, but usually, you're right. It's most likely not for sure. But the second thing I want to show you tonight is when facing opposition, we have to stand on truth and God's provision. And this is important because if God moves us forward whether it's as an individual or as a marriage or as a church, you need to expect opposition. And so it starts here in verse 3. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bosne and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this temple. And don't miss verse 5. But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. And so they show up 
And what would be our first thought? Well, I'm not building it, right? I, I, I'm not doing it. No, they just boldly say, these are the people that are leading us. These are the people we're following. And if you know anything about uh, an enemy that wants to stop you, they usually try to cut the head off the snake, right? That's, that's how you stop production. That's why if God has given you a position of influence, it should not surprise you that Satan will try to cause you to stumble, whether that's in your home, whether that's at work, whether that's at church. Why? Because God is at work in people's life and does Satan cause more trouble by running off a Christmas and Easter person or someone who is here all the time making decisions? Is it when that person that's only here once or twice a year has a moral failure or is it when a pastor has a moral failure that more people are hurt? And so you see it in business, right? The janitor steals some cleaning supplies, not a great big deal to the company. But if a CEO steals half of the shares and stock and runs off and leaves, the company usually what? Has a major problem. And so what you see here is, is not normal, but yet they are trusting that God is with them. Because look what it says in verse 5, because the eye of their God was on them. That means they had found God's favor. They were doing what God asked them to do. And you would say, well, if they're doing what God asked them to do, then why is there opposition? Because that's just how it goes. It's just that way. If God is at work and moving in your life, you can guarantee that Satan will begin to work. It happens in churches. It happens in marriages. It happens in individual lives. And we should not be surprised. But we still have to stand on truth. This is what's going on and believe that God can provide. That's why I believe in preaching verse by verse. I've been going through Jeremiah. Now I'm going through Ezra. On Sunday nights, we're going through Matthew. On uh, Sunday mornings, we're going through uh, 1 Samuel. I, was, I knew it was somewhere in the Old Testament. Uh, why? Because verse by verse, word by word, I trust that when we face a problem or we have a need or something is going to come up, then God's Word will have us where we want to be. But if tonight I showed up and said, well, I think I'm going to preach on this topic, and you just told me Sunday that we had a problem with that topic, you'd say, that's misusing the Word of God. But if I've been slugging through Jeremiah now for a half a decade, <laughs> and verse by verse through the book of Ezra, God has us here for a reason. And so when facing opposition, stand firm and trust that God will fight for you. And I'm not going to read all of this letter that's from verses 6 all the way through verse 16. It's a very familiar letter. You can read it on your own. But I do want to read verse 12 because verse 12 shows that the children of Israel have finally humbled themselves. They've humbled themselves. Look what it says in verse 12. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, He gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God. Also the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon, 
those king Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon and they were given to one named Sheshbazar who had made governor. They said the reason we were in captivity is because our fathers disobeyed God. And friends, if you and I want to be where God wants us to be, we just have to admit that we sin. We have to admit that we fall short. We have to admit that we are not perfect. But yet they said what? God was faithful. God provided not only our freedom, but He also provided that the king would send with us what we need to come back. They were trusting in the truth and that God would provide. And uh, um, it's very important, I think, to remember that because if you remember like back in Ezekiel and... uh, uh, in the book of Joel, those prophets who were before or at the beginning of the exile, you know, they were telling them that you're, you're going to go back. You're going to experience that. But if that was me, I'd say, well, how? How is that possible? How could we ever have what we've lost? But yet God was faithful. And so thoughts, questions. Third thing I want to show you tonight is not only have we been looking that we have to hear from God and be in unity. When we face opposition, we have to stand on truth and trust God. The third thing is, God will work out the details when He has a path and a purpose for us. How many of you have ever wanted God to reveal the details right now? <laughs> Lord, how are you going to fix this? How are you going to take care of this? God, how are you going to make a way? And so it starts in verse 17. Now, therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send us his pleasure concerning this matter. So what he says is, let's go through all of our paper manuscripts in a temple after 70 years, well, it was about 15 years, excuse me, and let's see if we can find that. And if we can find that, then we'll let you build this temple. Well, I don't know if you've ever lost a piece of paper or not. (laughs) Thankfully, this would have been a royal edict, but still in this day and time, what if something would have caught fire? What if rats would have got in there and eaten it? But God had prepared and protected this. And so what we see here is the letter is found. The decree is found, and we're going to be in chapter 6. And so God begins to provide what they need. And I'm not going to read the whole letter to you just because we don't have time. But in verse 6, I want you to see there in chapter 6, Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bosne, and your companions, the Persians, who are beyond the river, keep yourselves far from there. Let the work of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. They find the letter. The letter says exactly what the Jewish people says. And the king says, leave them alone. The first way that God works individually in the details is this. It's not on your notes, but you'll have to write it down, is that God affirms His truth. If you want to know the details of God's plan for your life, your marriage, or the church that you are a part of, you just have to affirm what God has already said. Whatever God's Word says... Whatever God has said must be affirmed. But I also want to show you that God didn't just affirm or reaffirm. God supplied 
the needs. If you're taking notes, write down God's supply. Look over here in verse 8. Moreover, so he says, leave them alone, but I got more to tell you. I issue a decree as to what you should do for the elders. He says, I don't want you to do nothing to them. That's bad enough if it's your enemy, right? Lord, I'd sure like to say some things about them or, or do some things to them. And someone says, don't you pick on your sibling. You're like, Meh, right? You've, you've had kids and grandkids that are fighting in the backseat. Don't touch your brother. And I was like, that's bad enough. Now you hug and make it up, right? So it's don't do and then do. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you should do for the elders of these Jews. For the building of this house of God, let the cost be paid at the king's expense. From taxes on the region where? Beyond the river. Guess who lives in the area beyond the river? The people that are complaining of the fact that the Jews are building the temple. What he says is, you're going to pay for it. Now that's bad enough, right? I don't mind not bothering, but you're telling me I have to pay for them? This is to be given immediately. He doesn't say you can, you can, you can find, find it somewhere else. When you get home, you open up your wallet, you open up your bank account, and you send it to them. So that they are not hindered. He says, don't even slow them down. Don't even cause them to stop work. Right? There is no supply shortage or logistic problems in, in Israel at this time like there is in America. God not only affirmed, but God supplied what they needed. But look what it goes on to say here in verse 9. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the request of the priest who are in Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail. Because it would have been bad enough if he said, don't bother them and go home and send them the money. But then he says, no matter how often they come to you and ask something for you, from you, guess what you got to do? Just keep giving and keep giving and keep giving. You see, God supplied everything they needed. And friends, I believe this. If God is faithful to one generation of people, He will be faithful to all generations. Now, that doesn't mean your enemy is going to call you up and say, how much of a check do you need? And just keep asking me for more. That's not what he's teaching here, all right? He is teaching that God supplies our needs. But look here in verse 10, though. It says that they may offer sacrifices and sweet aroma to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the kings and his sons. What he says is, what I ask is that they'd pray for us. And so it teaches us that we are to honor God and honor those who are over us. The Apostle Paul wrote the same thing in the New Testament. Submit to the rulers that are over you. We honor God and we honor them. Doesn't mean we like it. Doesn't mean that it's enjoyable. But that's what he says here. Pray for us. He wasn't a believer. He was a heathen king. But yet God had worked and moved in this situation And the last thing about the specifics I want to show you, God affirms, God supplies, but God also protects. Because look what it says in verse 11. Also, I issue a decree 
that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his own house and erected, and let him be hanged on it. And let his house be made to refuse heat because of this. He says, not only is this what I want you to do, not only is this what you're going to do, but if you don't do it, we're going to take wood from your own house and you're going to be hung on it. God affirms, God supplies, and God protects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I just want you to think about this tonight because I think that sometimes when we read through the Old Testament, we get really negative, and I get really negative, right? Because it's God's judgment, it's God's um, punishment, but we have to believe whether it's as an individual, whether it's as a marriage, whether it's as a church, as we look at the example that God showed His people in the Old Testament, that He will be faithful today. And so I don't know what God has told you, but you have to believe that the Bible says it. I don't know what God is going to supply your needs with, but He can use your enemy. And third and finally, you've just got to believe that God can protect you as you go. And so those are the specific ways, I think, that God works out the details in our situations. Thoughts? Yeah. All things work to the good. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Hence why, if you look at the first point, it was when leadership hears from God. It can't not be what I want, what you want. It has to be we hear from the Lord, and that comes from His His Word, right? And so then, as we hear from God, we begin to do what God wants us to do. Opposition will come. And when opposition comes, no matter how much we don't want to admit of it, all of us struggle with doubt. I struggle with doubt. I struggle with worry, struggle with fear. But God will work out the details when He has a path and purpose for us. And the fourth thing I want to show you is that God's purpose and plan will be accomplished. Verses 13 of chapter 6, if you would, with me there. It says, <clears throat> Then Tataniah, governor of the region beyond the river, Shethar Bosne, I wish someone else would read these names, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Xerxes, king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests, and the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of joy, a God with joy. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of tribes of Israel. They assigned the priests to their divisions and Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book 
of Moses. So the promise for them to return is here fulfilled. And what we see is that God's purpose and plan will be accomplished. And so a couple things that I take away from this is, is first and foremost, we have to know what God's Word says. I personally do not believe uh, that the New Testament is open. I believe the New Testament is closed. That means when the book of Revelation finished, that was the end of God's Word. No Book of Mormon, no Joseph Smith, uh, no Muhammad. The books that we have in the New Testament and the Old Testament are the Word of God. Complete, perfect in every way. All right. Now, for instance, the Jewish Old Testament and ours are exactly the same. All right. It's not broken up the same, but the same books that we view Scripture are the same books that they view as Scripture. All right. Now, there are other uh, religious groups that have other books like the Apocrypha that have been added into that, but us and the Jewish Old Testament are the same. All right. That's very important because when Jesus was on this earth, He affirmed that what were the Scriptures? The Jewish Old Testament, right? So we can know without a shadow of a doubt that the Old Testament is the Word of God. Okay? What they had, Jesus would have known about the other books and things like that, but that's not what He said. So we have to hear from the Word of God. And so tonight, I really want to stress that. If God's Word says it, we have to be willing to believe it. The second thing is that God will lead us into places where we are uncomfortable and God will bring opposition. God brought opposition when they came back from captivity, but yet they quit. What was the difference between them quitting this time and last time? I believe they heard from the Lord. And friends, the Word of God will be our substance. The Bible literally talks about it, right? That Paul says, you are still eating what? But you should be eating the more meatier things of the Word. And so until we are willing to listen to the Word of God, regardless of the cost, regardless of the opposition, we're never going to be who God wants us to be. And so we hear from God, we expect for God to lead us to do great things for Him. And, but we should expect opposition. As we begin to follow God, we should know that there are some things that are going to be out of our control and out of our ability. Why do you think that God had the enemies of Israel pay for the things that they needed? I don't know if you've ever been a slave for 70 years, but you probably don't accumulate a lot of wealth over seven decades in captivity. And so God says, I want to show you what I can do. I'm going to bless you in a way that you can't take credit for yourself. Now, how many of us would honestly say that's not how we live our life? Right? Most of the things we do at church, we do because we can do them. In our homes, most of the things that we can do, we do because we can do them. But if God does something that you can't take credit for, who gets the credit? He does. Gary, you were going to put your hand up. Absolutely. Now, what's like the Bible says that 
the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He can turn it as he sees fit. So yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the fifth and final thing I have tonight, I'm going as quick as I can, is that what has God done all of this for? Well, it's because God wants worship and honor for His name. You say, well, it was about the people. And it's not about the people. It's about God. The, the hero of the Bible is Him. And so what God does all of this for is not so that people can be like, I wish I was a Jew. No, it's like the king said, I want God. I want His blessing. I want to know who He is. And look here in verses 19 to 22, because look what begins to happen. At the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. For the priests and Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean. And they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren the priest, and for themselves. <clears throat> then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all those who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. They worshiped Him. And tonight I want to challenge you that God wants worship. God has worship in heaven. The, the angels proclaim Him, but He wants His people to worship Him and to honor Him. And so tonight, all of this gets us to one simple point. We should be focused on the worship and honor of God. That means whether it's in Sunday school, whether it's in church, whether it's in missions, whether it's in uh, uh, quacks or whatever's going on out here tonight, it should be about honoring God worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. God doesn't just bless us so that we can brag about our blessings. God blesses us so that we can point people to Him. That's what we are created for, to worship and honor Him. And so if we want to be the church that God wants us to be, if you want to have the marriage that God wants you to have, or if you want to be the individual that God wants you to be, you have to say, God, I want to honor and worship you with my life. And from that, when I was in seminary, they said you need to always start your sermons with writing the conclusion, writing what you want the point to be when you get done. Well, as you can tell, that's not how I preach, all right? I don't come in and say, well, this is what the goal I want. This is what I want the people to believe this is what I want them to think. I just go verse by verse and tell you what I think the Bible says and how you can apply it to your life. And uh, as I, I've told you before, I at one time thought about going back and getting my doctorate. And uh, you have to submit letters to two of your professors to get them to give you a letter of recommendation. And one of my professors literally said these words, do you remember how much you hated school? Do you think it's a good idea to go back and do more of it? And I said, no, no, it's not. But tonight I want you to know that as I serve God and honor Him, I start with that. 
And how do I serve and honor God? Finding out what His Word says. Start there. So God, what do you believe about marriage? God, what do you say about pride? God, what do you say about gossip? God, what do you say about money? Starting there with the goal of God, I want my life to honor you. And then after you hear from God, you should expect what? Opposition. Well, I know the Bible says this about money, but you know what? Things are tight. Things are difficult. I know the Bible says this about this, but that's just not okay in our family and in our house. And then it goes on and we have to believe that God will, what, work out the details of honoring Him. And so that means if I'm going to step out in faith and give like God wants me to give financially or of my time or of my talents, I believe that God will work out the details. Or if God wants me to forgive my enemy and it doesn't make sense for me to forgive my enemy in my own mind, I trust that God will what? God will work out the details. And so if I honor God in my heart and that's what I want and I hear from the Word of God, I should remember this, that God's purpose and plan will be accomplished. And so we have to believe that because I don't know if you know this or not, hopefully today you can look back on your walk with the Lord and say, I'm still not where I need to be, but I am not what I was when I started on my walk with the Lord. Because what? God is sanctifying you and I. Sanctification is the process of God making us more and more like Jesus. It doesn't happen until totally until when? Glorification. When you and I get to heaven, we are a work in process until the day we die. And so when you hear people say, well, Jake, I believe you can live a sinless life here on earth, that is a lie. The Bible says it's a lie and it is not of God. Okay? It even says the truth is not in them. But whether it's our church tonight, whether it's your marriage, or whether it's your individual life, you have to believe that God can accomplish His purposes in your life. How many of you have ever had a sin that you've struggled with and you thought, I just, I'm never going to overcome this? <laughs> maybe it's pride, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's fear, maybe it's your temper, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's uh, the thing that I'm struggling with right now, a uh, very disrespectful attitude toward the government. Uh, and I just think, Lord, I'm, <laughs> this is never going to get any better, right? I have to believe that God is faithful. That if I will keep humbling myself, keep seeking His face, keep studying His Word, that God will continue to work in my life. I have to believe that about this church. We're living in a day and age that says church will never be the same because of COVID, right? People are never going to stop watching services online they're never going to come back. They're never going to be like they were. Listen, I think the church needed some shaking up. I think the churches, our churches were full of people that didn't really want to be there but were here for the wrong reasons. And so I believe COVID has, COVID has rattled the bush everywhere a little bit. But I have to believe that God can still use a local church to do a couple things. One, it is impossible for the television preacher to care for people in their times of need. Now, you can send in your thousand bucks and get a prayer shawl if you want to. Go right ahead, all right? But he's not going to come visit you when your loved one's dying in a hospital bed. He's not going to come visit you when your child is getting ready to take their first cancer treatment. And it's not about the people, but yet God uses people to what? Encourage and love us. I don't believe that you can worship the same way in your living room as you can with a group of people worshiping around you. I believe you can worship in your living room, 
But I believe there's something special about worshiping with God's people. I believe there's something special about sitting around and studying the Word of God together and talking about, well, this is what the Bible says, and well, this is what I think it says, and this is what it means to me, and the discussion of God's Word. This week we had three gentlemen who uh, went and built a wheelchair ramp for an older couple in um, um, Benton. Jesse DePlantis ain't doing that in Hamilton County. No offense to Jesse. It's a local church. And so we have to believe that even though our church and every church has faults, makes mistakes, we stumble, we fall short, that God has a purpose for us. Same way as marriage. I know what you're thinking. My wife is so blessed to be married to me. It's just amazing how God gave me to her. That's what you're thinking. I can see it on your face. Wayne was there for like three weeks working on our house. He's seen the blessing that I am up close and personal. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But we have our struggles. Marriage is not perfect. But yet we believe that God put us together. At least I believe God put us together. I think she does still. Right? You still think that hopefully you're, shaking, you're not shaking your head either way. So it's got me kind of worried back there. <laughs> She hates to be talked about. So, But I have to believe that. I have to believe that even through the good times and the bad times, God has given us our children to raise in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And even when we fail short, and even when we stumble, that God's not done with us. And so we have to believe that. As an individual, I have to believe that God is not done with me when I fall short, when I stumble, when I fail Him miserably, but that God can still use us. And that's really the whole, I think, hope of watching the nation of Israel come back into the promised land is they made a royal mess of everything. But yet God was faithful and God did not abandon them. And so that's my challenge to you is don't believe the lies of Satan that God will abandon you because He won't. The Bible says that He puts you in the palm of His hand and nothing can separate you from Him.